Well, good morning again. Hey, you guys are a little awake less than I am. <laughs> Anybody feeling tired? It's interesting, during that uh, welcome video, I actually wanted to run up on stage and scurry, like be really quick to get this done. Um, we are uh, in the middle of a series, or I'm sorry, at the end of a series on rest. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you've been with us thinking about the Sabbath day. I know on week one, we went through the Old Testament and starting in Genesis chapter two, how God worked for six days, he created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then Exodus chapter 16, he commands the people to rest on the seventh day. He gives them manna, and he says, I want you to collect double on what we would think of as Friday night, so you don't have to cook and collect on Saturday. I want you to rest and stay in your place on the Sabbath day, which is like Saturday during the week. And then Exodus 20, he gave the command as one of the Ten Commandments to observe the Sabbath day. It was the fourth commandment. And, um, and we saw how important it was for God. He wanted to establish this one day a week. And the week is unique because uh, the whole world in all of history, people have um, uh, in ancient times figured out their calendar based on the, the moon or the sun. And uh, Judaism was different and uh, the way God set it up was different because he established the week. A uh, seven-day week. A seven-day week does not fit in any pattern in nature or creation or anything else. It was unique. And so God created this seven-day week for us. And one day out of the seven days, he wanted us to stop and rest, wanted the people of God, the Israelites, to stop and rest. And it was meant to be a sign. It was a testimony. It was meant to be like a witness to the people around them. We are different than everyone else. How are we different? On Saturday, we stop, or on, on one day out of, the, out of seven, we stop working, and we trust God. There's even a Sabbath year, and it was meant to be a testimony and a witness, and it was really meant to focus people uh, to their, on their relationship with God, that they trust Him to provide for them, that they follow Him. And so the Sabbath day is so unique in Jewish history, and that's the Old Testament. Then last week, we began looking at the New Testament, looking at the life of Jesus, how Jesus observed the Sabbath. He stopped working on the Sabbath. He observed the Sabbath. It was his custom. I think it's in uh, maybe Luke 4.16, but in the Gospels, multiple places, it says it was his custom. He would observe the Sabbath and he would go into the synagogues because on the Sabbath day, since everyone's off of work, they would say, all right, Jewish brothers and sisters, let's, let's head to the synagogue or let's get together and let's read the law. Let's read the prophets. Let's, lead the, let's read the scriptures and let someone teach us. Let that be a day where, I mean, this is a great time to call a town meeting when you know no one has an excuse. No one can come to you and be like, ooh, I got work to do. Everyone had to stop working. So it was a wonderful pattern, a habit that they established. And Jesus was a part of that pattern, except Jesus began something new in saying that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And him healing on the Sabbath was showing them that the customs, the traditions that they made, the, the boundaries around the law that they made about the Sabbath were incorrect. And so Jesus corrected their perception about the Sabbath, that this was not meant to be a burden and that God desires for us to do good. There are good works even to do on the Sabbath and that Jesus was a part of that. And so he changed that a little bit. Well, now... What about after Jesus? What about after the cross? 
What did the rest of the disciples, what did the church do? What did the apostles teach and say? What, what are we supposed to do with the Sabbath? Because we're not Jewish like Jesus and his disciples are. We're, we're not Jewish as they are. So we don't have a Sabbath as a part of our custom. What are we supposed to do? Well, we are supposed to do something, and I want to get into that. I do want to show you, I have to start with a little bit of history first, because there are some misconceptions about the Sabbath after the cross. So people say the Sabbath after the cross changed. So the church, what you and I were after the cross, after Jesus rose from the dead, we're after this event. What is the Sabbath? Well, there is one misconception, the most common misconception about the Sabbath amongst those who we no longer observe Saturday as a special day according to law. There are those that think, well, the Sabbath is just Sunday. The Sabbath has become Sunday. It got transferred over to Sunday. And the first point I want to show you through the book of Acts and some history is the Sabbath never became Sunday. Sunday is not the new Sabbath. There's an intentional, that's point number one, there's an intentional distinction between the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and Sunday, the day that Christians got together to gather and worship. There is an intentional distinction. One did not replace the other, and it wasn't a mimic of the other. The disciples and the apostles still refer, and continue to for the rest of the New Testament, refer to the seventh day of the week as the Sabbath. That's what they called it 20, 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. The Sabbath was still the Sabbath. It was still on Saturday. It was never Sunday. And we see this when Paul and his min- and other ministers with him uh, went to the Jewish groups throughout the, throughout the whole land. They went through and they ministered to them and they were starting churches. And there's examples in the New Testament, the book of Acts in particular, where they did this on the Sabbath day on purpose, they would go and witness to the Jews and preach Christ. So we see this uh, in Antioch in Acts 13, Philippi, Acts 16, Thessalonica, Acts 17, and Corinth, Acts 18. Uh, I'm not going to go through all those, but I want to give you one example. Acts chapter 13, when he's at Antioch, starting in verse 14, it says, They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. There were multiple Antiochs in this day, so it's just telling you which one. On the Sabbath day, hey, that's our Saturday, we know this day. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. And so the Jews have a habit, a rhythm, on the Sabbath day to read from the Law and the Prophets. Even still today, on Sabbath, on, at the synagogues in Israel, other places here, they read the Law. They read the Law every year. They read through it, and they read part of the Prophets. There are two different readings, and they're called by Jewish names of the different readings. Well, this similar, not the same thing they do today, but similar in this day, they would read, and they saw Paul. And they saw Barnabas, and Barnabas was a wonderful Jewish teacher. He was a wonderful, converted to, to, he believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But Barnabas was a great teacher, an encourager, uh, well-liked, well-known. So they say to Paul and Barnabas, hey, if you want to get up and teach after the readings of the Law and the Prophets, you can say a word to our people. It's kind of like their sermon equivalent. And, uh, And so Paul and Barnabas did. 
Paul started preaching to them about how Jesus is the Messiah, and you'd have to go back in 13, I can't read all the verses, but Paul preaches about Christ and how Christ is the one that you need to put your faith in. Then in verse 42, it says, as they were leaving, this Paul Burns, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, I'm emphasizing this just to make a point. The Jews still observed the Sabbath, and so did Paul and Barnabas in using the Sabbath. They did not consider Sunday as the new Sabbath. They used this as a witnessing tool. There's a distinction between the two. Notice how the people were like, will you come back next Saturday because we're going to be busy Sunday through Friday. We're going to work for six days because that's the pattern that's been passed down for thousands of years. We're going to work, but on Saturday, the Sabbath, we're going to meet again. Would you come explain this to us again? And of course they did. Paul and Barnabas would do this for them. That's how they did their ministry. So uh, the Jews observed the Sabbath and the disciples and the apostles used the Sabbath as a witnessing moment. However, the converted Jews that were Messianic Jews, they believed in Jesus, the Christians of their days, even those that were Jewish Christians, they decided to gather together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is not a substitute for the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath. It's a different day. That's important. Sunday is not the new Saturday, and I'll, I'll give you a biblical example in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. When Paul, Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Yeah, you think I preached for a long time? You think he started at 11 p.m.? No, he didn't. Yeah, I never want to hear another complaint about that. I bet you if I preached until 2.01 p.m., half of you would be upset or already gone. Yeah, that's... He preached on their, think, Sunday. Sunday was a work day for him, but the, Jew, the Christians would gather on the first day of the week. They started doing that in the book of Acts, in New Testament times, about 20, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So this was around 60 A.D., Actually, this is before 60 AD, but this was around that time, maybe in the 50s, and they would meet on Sundays. Christians started meeting on Sundays a long time ago, but if you look in the book of Acts, it's not a substitute for the Sabbath. It is just distinctly different. They wanted to worship. The Jews observed Sabbath. Even Christian Jews still observed the Sabbath, but they wanted to gather and worship because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. They wanted to celebrate Jesus. Another example of this, it's not on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul tells them to set aside a collection of money. Why? Why on the first day of the week? Why would he even mention on the first day of the week do this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2? It's because Christians already started meeting even in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about the, the, the geography of the land of this day, Corinth is, uh, if you're like me, Corinth is way to the left, beyond the Mediterranean Sea. It's not in Israel. 
They were meeting still at that time, in that place. They were meeting on Monday. They were meeting on Monday all throughout the land. Or, sorry, Sunday. They met on Sunday, the first day of the week. And uh, it's because of that's when Jesus rose from the dead. It became a pattern, a tradition, a custom. We do not have to celebrate and gather on Sundays. We do it as a tradition, but there's no law. God would not look down at us and say, you better do this on Sunday. There's no law that we have to do it on Sunday. We do it on Sunday because it's a custom and a tradition that's been passed down for 2,000 years. Do you know some people have church on a day other than Sunday? The church gathers together in certain persecuted places. Because Sunday is considered the Christian Lord's Day, Christians in some countries will meet on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday just to get away from being persecuted and being looked at. They would meet on a different day of the week. And you know what? God's not up there going, oh, they're not meeting on my day. He's not doing that. This was just a custom and a tradition. It's not a law. It doesn't replace the Sabbath. And there's nothing in the New Testament that says you must do this. It was just something that they started doing. And we see this in history. Uh, because some people like the Seventh-day Adventists want to say that, listen, we need to worship God on Saturday. That's the really true day. Um, so just looking at history, just to explain it, Justin Martyr in A.D. 140, this is about 100 years after Jesus' uh, Jesus's time, Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly. He's talking about Christians. Because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness, made the world and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So if you go back to the creation week, day one, God said, let there be, God made light, and he, he, he separated the light from the darkness. So Justin Martyr, he's just talking about how God distinguished between light and dark on day one, and on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus being the light of the world. He is the life. He is the one where we see God for who he truly is. There's so many connections there. So it became a tradition. It's just a custom. It's not a law. It's great. Let's keep meeting on Sunday. But this isn't a biblical law that we must meet on this day of the week. Barnabas in AD 20, 10 years earlier or 20 years earlier, we keep the eighth day with joyfulness, the day which Jesus rose again. So here's another testimony that they started meeting on Sunday. Ignatius, AD 110, no longer observing Sabbath. This is one historical reference in which Christians were telling the world, you do not have to be Jewish to be saved by the God of the Old Testament. You don't have to become Jewish. We are beyond the law. It is by faith in Christ. We are now brought into this relationship with him. You do not have to be Jewish. You do not have to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, part of this was we keep the eighth day with joyfulness. By the way, if you're not good with numbers, there's seven days in the week. So the eighth day is actually the first day. So all he's saying is Sunday. We do this on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Ignatius, yeah, no longer observing Sabbath, but living according to the Lord's day by which our life sprung from him and by his death. You know, we receive new life in Christ, our faith in Christ. We're born again. The Didache, which is uh, the writings of the 12 uh, disciples, this was written around 80 to 90 A.D., so this is in the first century. And on the day of our Lord's resurrection, that's Sunday, that's the first day of the week, we find that in the Gospels, uh, which is the Lord's day, we meet more diligently. So, there is a distinction 
between Saturday and Sunday. Sunday's not the new Saturday. Sunday is a different day that began with Jesus. It's the new that Jesus brought where Christians just started meeting on Sunday. We do not have to meet on Sunday. There's no law that says we have to meet on Sunday. It was just a custom, and it did not replace the Sabbath. That's really important because there are a lot of Christians that secretly think, well, Sunday is our Sabbath. That's not true. Sunday is Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That is not the Sabbath. Now, it's great because Jesus is the point of both the Sabbath and the resurrection. That's true. There's a connection there. But it does not replace the Sabbath or it's not the new Sabbath. And and that's a really important distinction. There are denominations, or you could even call them cults, that have branched out based on this misunderstanding of why we meet on Sunday versus Saturday. So, Sunday became a common day of worship because of the resurrection. Why did they no longer observe the Sabbath? Why was the Sabbath considered part of the Old Testament law that New Testament believers no longer have to observe the Sabbath? Well, it's because the Sabbath is a shadow. It's just a shadow. Verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Those three ideas in that verse, festival, new moon, Sabbath day, you get all those from the Old Testament. God set up festivals of remembrance so we'd remember him. We'd celebrate together. New moon, God is providing new. It divided up the months you could think of, the Jewish months. Again, seven days do not fit in any of those, but they were there seven days a week. We have this new, we had these things. Paul is telling the the Colossians, hey, listen, we no longer have to be Jewish and follow these customs. And don't let anybody judge you if you don't follow them. So I know in America, we don't deal with our peers and our neighbors saying, you don't celebrate the Passover, you don't really love God. We don't get that. We, We never hear that. They heard this all the time. Families were divided over this. So we kind of have to make a cultural leap over into the the world of the first century. One of the big divides was, don't we still have to follow the Old Testament to follow the Old Testament God, who is the God of the New Testament? Yes, I put my faith in Jesus, but don't we have to follow all these laws too? These are good customs. They're good festivals. And God basically said no. And Jesus explained which rules were changed. The New Testament apostles explained how this changed. You don't have to be circumcised to be made right with God. That doesn't make you righteous. You don't have to observe the Sabbath. You, there were so many things where God says, you no longer, this is not how you're made right with me, it's through faith in Christ. And the message that began with the Jews spread to the whole world. It was meant to be a blessing to every nation, tongue, tribe, and they did not have to become Jewish in order to receive that message. There was only one way that they could receive that righteousness, and that's through faith in Christ. That was it. There was nothing more to be done. Today, we don't struggle with that. In the first century, man, this was a huge divide. People had such a hard time accepting this new philosophy that you don't have to be Jewish to be made right with God. That just blew all their minds. And the Sabbath day was part of that. And so Paul told them, don't let anyone judge you because you do not observe the Sabbath. You don't have to observe the Sabbath. 
Why? These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Your translation might say the reality. The reality is Jesus. What you need is Him. The only reason why God had a Sabbath day was He was pointing people ultimately to Himself, which is fulfilled in Christ. That's who we look to to see God. We look at Jesus. When Jesus, uh, during the transfiguration, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember He's with Peter and James and John. He goes up on the mountain. It's just those four guys. And then all of a sudden it changes dramatically and all of God is speaking from heaven and you have Moses and Elijah there. And what does the Jewish man Peter say? I will set up three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is great. We're going to worship. This is super great. This is like the Old Testament on steroids. I love this. And then what happens? God, the Father, takes away Moses and Elijah, which, by the way, the law and the greatest prophet, considered by the Jews, that's how they understood him. He takes them away and says, this is my son, listen to him. Now, God was saying a lot with that. It would shock any Jew. It should shock us. Where God is saying, I, I know I gave you the law and the prophets. I want you to listen to my son, Jesus. He is the substance. He was the point the whole time. He's a greater prophet, priest, and king. He's the substance of what it meant. When you think of the Passover, which is a festival, what is that representing, the Passover? Who was the lamb that was slaughtered so the angel of death would pass over us and we would not endure death and lose our firstborn son? Jesus. Who is the slain lamb? Who, who's the one that fulfills all the festivals, whether it's the tabernacles where that's us and God protecting us and providing for us? Who provides for us? Jesus. Who's the one sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven praying for us, interceding for us? Who is our mediator? There's only one mediator between man and God. It's Jesus. Who is the one that the whole thing is about? Jesus. So Paul's trying to explain to these people the only reason why God gave you the Sabbath is it's a shadow, a type, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the one that you ought to, at the end of the day, when you understand everything there is about the Sabbath, you ought to walk away with Jesus. I want to be more with him. I want to be more like him. And I'm so grateful for him. Amen. He is the one, period. And so... The Sabbath is a shadow. That's why we do not have to observe it as a law. It does not make us right with God. Only Jesus can make us right with God. And it's so wonderful that it is. Because anybody can just follow the rules on a Saturday. But don't we need more than that? I know I do. Rules will wear me out. Will frustrate me or make me proud. But Jesus... He does away with all of that. What I really want is Him. I, should I set aside a day of the week? I personally, I do, but it's not a law. And I could miss it. And it doesn't make me not righteous with God. I set a day out of the week because I want to rest in Him. I want to spend time with Him. I want to stop my working and say, God, you know what? I can take a whole day out of the week and stop working and you're going to keep this thing going. You are the one that satisfies my soul. 
I can stop working. I can stop striving. I don't even have to do good works to be made right with you. All the work was done by you. I get to do good works because of you, and I love to do them. But I just love to do them because you're changing me to be more like you. You are the reason for all of this. The Sabbath is a shadow. It points to a greater reality, which is Christ. This is why Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 5, One person judges one day to be more important than another day. That's, if, you, if you understand Romans, he's, he's, talking, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's differentiating between them all the time. This is a Jew saying Saturday is more important than the other days, or the Passover is a more important day. You get the idea. One person judges one day to be more important than the other. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. That's me. I observe, I happen to observe Friday. There's nothing special about Friday. Just in my calendar, Friday is the one day where I can ignore everyone and get away with it. It's just the one day. I can't do it any other day that I know of. So Friday, I take a day off. I do not work, not to be lazy, but it's almost like a sacrifice to God. Like, I'm not going to work. I do not have to get it done. What I really do, uh, what I really need is to rest in you. I spend time that day reading. I use an app called Fighter Verses. It's a Bible memory app to try to memorize verses and to think of God. It just helps my brain get going. I spend that day with my family. I enjoy God's gifts to me. He's given me a beautiful, wonderful family that I do not deserve. He gives me a church family that I do not deserve. He gives me so many things. I have, I have non-deserved everything I have, and, uh, and God continues to bless me. And I set that day aside, and I say, God, you're the one. This day is given to you. But no one else has to do that, and no one has to do that on Friday. And what Paul's saying in Romans 14, he continues it on in the 15th chapter, is welcome one another in the Lord. And as each one of you has convictions to do certain things, let them have those convictions, but don't press that on somebody else. It's good for us to develop our maturity in relationship with God without needing to force someone else to follow our customs. There's nothing wrong with tradition as long as you don't make tradition more important than people and what God's wanting to do, more important than the mission. Nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition can be really good. As soon as tradition stops being good, let it go and start a new tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. Everyone has them, but don't force it upon other people because it's like a law and then you become the judge. And there's only one judge and lawgiver, and it ain't us. And so each person is given the freedom in Christ to observe the days of the week according to their convictions as long, and this is in Romans 14 and 15, as long as they're doing it to honor the Lord. So they have the freedom to make those distinctions. One guy is like every day the same. Another guy is like one day different. That's okay. I don't know if there's a mixture. I've never heard of a three days are different than the other four, but he just gives this openness of let each one do it according to their conviction. So how do we enter God's rest? If it's a shadow and we want to enter into God's rest, according to the New Testament and Old Testament, how do we enter into God's rest? Well, in Hebrews 4, he, the Hebrew author, this is a complicated passage, I understand that, 
it's clear enough that we will get the main point of it. So in Hebrews chapter 4, this is a continuation of something he, sa- he started saying in Hebrews chapter 3. So this is, this is a, there's a lot to this. Go read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Uh, there's a lot to this. I'm just going to give you the summary points. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, he says, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, that's a whole mouthful, this writer is telling Jewish Christians, listen, just because we have made it to the promised land, or that some have, doesn't mean they've entered into God's rest. There still remains a sense in which God wants us to enter into His rest. There's something left. Therefore, since the promise to enter His rest, His being God, remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. I don't want any of you to miss God's rest. I don't want you to miss how to rest in God. I don't want you to miss it. Neither does this author. For we also have received the good news just as they did. Now, I know I have to explain who the they are, and uh, I'm going to have to summarize it. You're going to have to read Psalm. Remember at the beginning of the service, I read Psalm 95, and it was a song that's like, come let us worship. And then it's like, and today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And God's like, you will not enter my rest. And he compares us to those at Meribah and Massa and all that. Okay. The they were Israelites in the wilderness. Um, you, you've, everyone just about has heard the story of like Moses, let my people go, Egypt, the 10 plagues. Okay, that was around the, the 1400s BC. God picks Moses to, to take the uh, Israelites out of captivity. They've been slaves for 400 years. Moses, they, God gives nine plagues and then the 10th plague is the Passover. During the Passover, uh, you know, they have the angel of death that comes by. They get set free. They leave. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are like, I hate you guys, just leave. They're frustrated and sad. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, what are we doing? I hate those guys, let's get them. And so they change their minds, they go follow them. Uh, God uh, brings the people through the Red Sea, performs a miracle. They walk on dry land through the Red Sea. Then God closes the Red Sea on the Egyptian army, kills all of their enemies. They're sitting on the other side of the sea going, God just delivered us and saved us. This is amazing. And God's like, and guess what? I'm going to bring you into a promised land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. To slaves, this sounds great. This is like telling a slave, you're going to go from the dungeon to like the vacation suite resort. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to love it. The land is great. And the people are like, yay, we love Moses. And then like five seconds later, they're like, we hate Moses. Where is he? What's going on? They started complaining and grumbling. Like, I miss the leeks and the onions and the melons. And blah, blah. They should start whining and complaining like kids on a trip. They're just horrible. Yeah, are we there yet? No, they weren't even, are we there yet? We're like, we don't want to go anymore. They were just totally bad. Anyway, God has compassion on them, but he tells them, because you did not trust me, because you just wanted to be like, we don't trust you, God, and we want to trust some foreign God, you cannot enter into my rest. And his rest was more than a promised land. It wasn't just the land of Canaan. It was the land of his promises, I'm going to be with you. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. I'm going to bless those who you bless. I'm going to to fight for you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be present with you. It was such great promises of God's presence with us, but the people decided, I don't believe him. I don't trust him. And God said, I swore in my anger, you will not enter into my rest. Well, Psalm 95 
maybe written by King David, we're not certain, but Psalm 95, which is written about 500 years later, gives us a new song where God speaks in first person and says, now today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. I'm telling you the truth just like I told the Israelites the truth in the 1400s, and they did not trust me. And because they didn't believe me, I made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, this is probably 38 years after that exact moment, but for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness because they didn't trust me. And I'm calling out to you, Israel, this is back in the Psalms, this is 500 years later, I'm giving you another chance. You can enter my rest if you trust me. Did the Israelites trust him? If you know Israelite history, the answer to that is no. They stopped trusting him. Then in the New Testament, this gets brought up again by the author of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews says, you know how God brought this up again in the Psalms about a time 500 years before? And he says, there's a new rest today you can enter into his rest. Okay, even today, just like there was more than just that one rest for Joshua and the people, God is offering rest to you today. You can enter into God's rest, but just like in the 1446 and just like in, um, in, the, seven or in the 1000s, just like in those times, you have to do it by faith. If you're going to enter into God's rest, you have to trust Him and believe in Him. So we enter God's rest by faith. Uh, Maybe I'm in chapter 4, verse 3. I th- yeah, I am. Okay, next slide. I, I'm pretty sure I know where I am. Okay. For we who have believed enter the rest. Just going to give you a little grammar school here. We who have believed is an aorist tense. It means like this happened. We did believe already in the past. And now we currently enter into his rest. So this is important in language to understand what this author is saying. Those of us who did put our faith in Jesus we are currently entering into God's rest. This isn't just talking about heaven, which a lot of people think when they read this passage and skim over it. We are entering into his rest now. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said, so I swore in my anger I will not enter my rest. He repeats that multiple times. Uh, Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, back in Psalm 95, he says, they will never enter my rest. The reason why the author continues to say, they will not enter my rest, is because he's trying to convince these people, you will miss God's rest if you don't put your faith in Christ. You are going to miss it, and we need God's rest. The Sabbath day is a shadow And we do not observe the Sabbath day as a law as Christians because they didn't in the New Testament. And because there's something more important than just a day, every single day belongs to the Lord. And we give ourselves to the Lord so we don't have to observe the Sabbath. However, rest is still a gift. And God did design us for rest. So we have the freedom to take a day off one day out of the week. God has given us this pattern. You can take a day off during the week and make it a day given to the Lord. Rest in it. Enjoy Him. Stop your laboring. Focus on Him. This is a gift. But you do not have to do it out of a law. There's no law that says you have to do it. It's just a pattern in which God has created us to use and need this rest one day a week. 
So I take a day off, but you do not have to. I use a day for him, but it doesn't happen every week. Sometimes people get sick, emergencies happen, funerals, weddings, all kinds of stuff happens. And my Friday is not the same as it could be. I'm totally at peace at that. Because to truly rest in God means that I rest in Christ. He's the substance. He did all the work. I don't have to do any work to be saved. I just have to believe. He also provides for me. I take a day off with joy. I trust him. He's going to provide for me. I, I use that time to enjoy what he's given me because I want to really enjoy what he's given me every day of the week. But one day a week, I set a time, special time committed to, I want to make sure I don't miss this. It's just a habit. It's just a discipline. And it's something that started a long time ago for God's people. And it's something that can be today. But it's not something we judge one another on. We don't compare one another to, are you doing this like I do it? When, you know, it's not that kind of thing. It's meant to be a good tool to make us healthy. We need rest. Do you know that according to everything, science and the Bible, when you rest, you make better decisions, you work better, you relate better, you're less grumpy, you're not a grumpy rump, you know, you're less irritable. It's good for you to rest. God wants you to rest. And um, that's where rest falls into the Bible. So now that you all know it perfectly, I'm going to pray and, um, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for rest that you give us. Um, thank you for the opportunity, the invitation, even the desire to, to be present with you, to meet with you, and to enjoy the rest that we have in you. You are the Lord of the Sabbath, and man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Thank you for, for clearing this up in the scriptures. Thank you for giving us the gift of rest. Thank you for giving us the freedom that we need to follow you uh, without the burden of legalism. Thank you for all the wisdom that's contained in, in your word. We love you because you first loved us. Help us to rest in you. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.